Have you ever been got? <laughs> Have you ever fallen for it? We were four months into our marriage, Deanna and I. And as we did, about two months in, we got our first yellow lab named Memphis. He was awesome. But he was Riley, so he had to uh, go to obedience class. I was in seminary at the time, and so I, we, we'd taken him, and you know, it was, it was fun, and it was great. And then, and then one day, it was actually about a week or two from now, uh, many years ago, uh, Deanna said, honey, I, I, don't, I don't feel great. Can, can you take him tonight? I said, sure, no problem. Glad to. So I take Memphis to obedience class, and I come back, and everything in the house when, we get back, when I get back is pitch dark. No big deal. My wife wasn't feeling well. She went to bed early. So I open the door, and, you know, unlock it, go in. The dog, my ferocious yellow lab, goes in with his tail wagging like nothing is up. I say, Deanna, nothing. I'll, I'll let her sleep. I'll go into the living room and sit down and unwind. And so I go in and I walk. I turn on the light. And 40 people yell at me, surprise! <laughs> My heart is still racing a little bit. I was gotten. You ever fallen for something? I'm not feeling well. Can you take him tonight? <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, it was amazing. Have you ever fallen for a trap? The, the, the trap that my wife set me for me was, was great. I fell into it full on head first. The, the trap that is set for Jesus is one of malice. They're trying to trick him. They're trying to get him. They're trying to catch him in his words. I love. I mean, this is, this is like an iconic response of Jesus. Like those who aren't even in the church know this response because this is this is Jesus being just awesome, isn't it? I mean, how great of a response. Give to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what's God's. Oh, it's beautiful. Oh, it's perfect, right? I mean, you would have thought that the Pharisees would have known that when you try to trick a man in his words, you probably shouldn't be going up against the one who has the nickname The Word, right? Are you with me? I mean, they were outmatched from the get-go. This is, this is such a great story, right? Right? You, you think you're crafty? Jesus will sniff it out every time. Je Jesus gets it. You're not going to trap him in words. You're not going to trick him, right? And that's true for the Pharisees, but that, that's true for us, right? I mean, I don't know about you, but I... I I can justify things in my mind, and I can make them sound legit, but when it comes to Jesus, he, he knows the truth. You, you can lie to your friends, you can lie to your spouse, you can lie to your parents, you can lie to your children, you, you, you can lie to yourself, you, you can't lie to Jesus. You can't lie to Jesus. He gets it, he sees it all. He sees it all, and we have this beautiful story that unpacks 
for us, right? So th- this point in, in the, the life of the gospel of, of Matthew, the, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all the religious people, they're all upset with Jesus at this time because he's, well, he's making a ruckus and he's making them look bad and, and, and they think that he's taking things too far and he's doing too much and, and, and they're, he's questioning their systems and he's disrupting it and he's got people following him. And so they're, they're plotting at this point of how, how are we going to deal with this problem, Jesus? And so the, the, the way they try to do that today is they, well, the Pharisees try to trick him in and catching him in his words. The Pharisees at this point are, it's best to understand that they're the religious lawyers, Right? They're the ones who, who understand the law and, and create the law and make the law to do what it, it wants, right? What they want it to do. Have, have you ever had to sign some legal documents? <laughs> Lawyers can make words say whatever they want, <laughs> Right? So the, the, the lawyers of the day, the religious lawyers of the day, are going to try and trick Jesus. And, and they start by, by puffing him up and, and by giving him this beautiful, lofty flattery, right? Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinions, for you are not swayed by appearances. The, the Greek there is you, you don't see people in their face. You're not persuaded by the shiny stuff. You see what's true, right? The, the, the funny part is they're, they're trying to butter Jesus up, and they do so by declaring 100% of who Jesus is and what he does, Right? But without their knowledge, they're, they're, they're buttering them up. And what they're really doing is they're laying this trap, this entanglement. They're trying to set the stage. And they say this, and, and we miss it if, if you don't understand some of the deeper realities of here. But it, it says that you, you are true and you teach the way of God, right? We, we might skip over that. Like, yeah, you teach the way of God, right? But, but what they're saying here is, is not just that you, you teach like about God, or you're a good Sunday school teacher, or you're a good, you know, what, the specific words there for the way of God is, is, is actually some of their lawyerese to say that you, you understand and you teach the divine law, right? There, there's divine law, there's, there's truth, there's, there's components of this world that are true and divine, and, and then there are components of it that are, well, are human, Right? That, that we create, the laws and the rules that, that we garner up, the traditions that we have. Right? And so when they say that the way of God, they're actually referring to, you, you understand the Torah, and the Torah was the first five books in the Hebrew Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, those, those five books hold special weight in, in Judaism, and, and really special weight for the Pharisees. And what they're saying here is, is Jesus, we understand that you, you know the truth of these five books and that you are a teacher of them and you, you follow the, the way of God. You, you get it all. And so they're giving the premise, like you, you are an authority on this. And then as Miss Meredith just showed us, they tried to give him a question that there was no way out of. 
question that didn't have a good answer. Do you pay taxes to Caesar or not? If he says, yes, yes, pay taxes taxes to Caesar, then all the people that are against Rome are mad at him. And, And to remind you, all the people were against Rome. Right? Israel, at this time, was its own country, but it was under Roman rule. It was under Caesar's authority. They were an occupied people, right? Hello, some of our current challenges in this region of the world, right? An occupied people that that were, most of them, revolting against the fact that they, they they were subordinate. They weren't they didn't have autonomy. They, they couldn't make their own rules. They couldn't live their own lives. They were under the authority of Rome. And so most of the Jewish reality in the world was we're, we're not for Rome. And so by Jesus saying, pay taxes to Caesar, he's, he's going to make mad all the people that don't want to pay taxes. tried to mute that before I got to the microphone. Sorry. <laughs> that tickle is coming for a while. So, so, yeah, don't pay taxes. Well, that gets him in trouble with the authorities, right? That, that gets him in trouble. That, that makes him inciting a revolution. That, that, that means that he, he could be arrested by the Roman authorities, What do you mean you said you don't pay taxes? That there was no good answer for Jesus. Or at least the lawyers thought. There was no way out. Jesus always has a way out. What coin? What inscription? What image is on it? Caesar. Well, give it to him. Give it to him. And give God the things that bear his image. Give to God the things that have his thumbprints on them. This is the beauty of Jesus. As they set him up in this trap where they're saying, not not just giving him a tricky question, but they're giving him a tricky question that that has to do with the first five books of the Torah and and the history of the Israelites and the the history of God and his divine proclamation and his divine law and, and the way that God, Jesus, gets through this is by going to the very source. You bear the image of God. You bear the image of God. Give it to him. Give it to him. My, as I said, my parents are here, and I, I of course, always love it when my parents come visit, and I always love to go and visit my parents. Um, and, and this is probably like seven or eight or nine down the list 
So I, I, I qualify that because it's the one I'm going to talk about. So I don't, think, I don't want you to think it's the only reason I like to see my parents. But it's a good thing. Because whenever I see my parents, my mom hands me gold wrapped in tinfoil. And inside of that tinfoil that I call gold is the economy that makes the Nest family function. Coffee bread. When Jesus says, bread of heaven, I think of my mom's coffee bread, right? And, and part of this is, is because it is a family recipe that has been passed down. It was uh, made uh, by my dad's mom. And, and I used to, like, go in to grandma's house with the challenge to see if I could out-eat the amount of bread that granny had made, and I never could. She always had enough. This bread is heaven, right? And, and, and it's a tricky recipe. It, it takes some finagling. It takes a bit of know-how. It takes a, it's, it's an art form. Really, and, and I remember it was it was you know in, when you're young, or at least when I was young, uh, I remember uh, going up for Granny's funeral. It was very emotional for me, of course, um, and I said, in part of my defiant childhood, I'm never gonna have coffee bread again because nobody will make it like Granny did. That was my sacrificial love for Granny. And you know what my mom did? We got home and she made some coffee bread myself what's that word I'm, I just lost it my, my self control was gone quickly sorry granny love you um, <laughs> but, but it was and, and, and mom I'm, I hope I'm not telling stories here but, but I remember as mom was learning to make coffee bread like granny did and, and it took a little bit of time and I remember one recipe that didn't quite turn out right because it, it, it's, it's science right this baking thing even though it's art form and and, and the yeast that you mixed in, it, it well, it, it didn't rise. And no, normally coffee bread gets, you know, there, and it was like half. And so it was the most dense, dry, rock-hard deliciousness you've ever had. Because <laughs> the yeast didn't work. I don't, I don't know why it didn't work. Maybe it didn't get mixed all the way in. Maybe the yeast wasn't good yeast. But, but it didn't rise. Because it didn't get into everything. J Jesus gets into everything. Right? J Jesus says, give to God what is God's. And th that means he wants not a little bit of you. He doesn't want you for an hour on Sunday morning. He wants all of you, all the time. He wants everything. Put your whole self in. The, the yeast of, of God's love, the yeast of God's call, the yeast of God's goodness, man, it, it gets into all of you. That, that you don't walk away from here saying, check, 
I did my duty, now I'm going to go live my life the week ahead. No, the, the point of Jesus, the calling of Jesus, the, the desire of Jesus is that you would walk on his way every step. Not just the steps from your car to the life center. Right? One of the beautiful things about coffee bread is it was passed down from my grandma to my mom. My wife makes a killer coffee bread. There have been a couple times when my kids have gone to Oma's house and made coffee bread with her. On the way here, of course, licking our lips because we had some this morning. <laughs> Emery looks at me and says, Dad, if I need to make a recipe for school this year, I'm making coffee bread. That's faith, isn't it? That's what the walking the way of Jesus is. It's what we're called to do, to pass it from generation to generation to generation. Like, like coffee bread, this faith thing is tricky. I mess it up all the time. So do you. But you know what you do when you mess it up? You keep trying. I thank God that my mom didn't give up when she messed up a batch of the dough. Don't give up. The Spirit is working. He's calling you on the way. A final point about this beautiful response of Jesus as he gets out of this trap. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's. Give to God what is God's. Um, here, uh, not next week, but uh, the, the week after, we're going we're gonna to talk about stewardship for a little bit here at Prince of Peace and what that is. And, 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 and I say that um, stewardship is, is often a, well, it's a dirty word in the church sometimes because when we talk about stewardship, we just churchy, that means we're talking about money. Well, we're going to talk about money a little bit. But, but stewardship is... I think most beautifully defined in this passage. Right? We all have taxes, we all pay our taxes, and we're all called into living of giving everything we've got to God. And so as we come into a time and a season of talking about stewardship, here's what I want to just tee up for us for the next couple of weeks in November. Stewardship as it relates to finances, oftentimes the church teaching is that, that God calls us to, to give and to grow to 10% of our finances to go towards the church. And, and, and I want to challenge you that that's a really small understanding of stewardship. And I don't mean that because I want 12% or 15%. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, according to God, according to today's reading, when God says, give to God all that is God's, God wants 100% of your money. That doesn't mean we here at Prince of Peace want 100% of your money. No, that's not stewardship. That's theft. 
God wants us to come to an understanding that all that we have, financial, all that we have skill-wise, all that we have with our abilities, all that we have with our talents, all of it goes to God. Some of it we release to the church to support the church and to help the church. But, But a lot of it stays in your own economy, your own house to glorify God and who you are and how you live and what you do. That make sense? If we use the biblical principle of tithing, 10% given to the church so the church can do the things we're called to do. 90% of it is for you and your house, but that doesn't mean it's yours. It's still God's. And he wants you to use it for his glory. And, and sometimes that, that means taking your, your husband and your bride and your family out to dinner. And sometimes that means going on vacation. And sometimes that means all the time that means paying your bills. And, and that, that, that all of that is a, an act of faith and an act of good stewardship. We, we get in trouble when we think that we can divide out our lives and say this part's for God. This part's for work, this part's for family, this part's for me. When God says, when Jesus says, render to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's, he's looking at you and he's saying to us, give me everything and I'll guide you and I'll direct you as you walk the way I am the way. Walk with me. This is what it means. The yeast gets into everything. And it changes us. In the name of Christ. Amen.